Sawete discipuli, discipuli que lingua latinae, mihi valde placet vos pulcram linguam latinam aeternam docere. Let us review our personal active endings of the Latin verb. ORM, ST, MUS, TIS, NT. Let us conjugate PONO PONERA POSUI POSITUM, put her place, in the present active indicative. PONO, PONIS, PONIT, are you joining in? PONIMUS, PONITIS, PONUNT. And again, UNUS DUO, UNUS DUO TRES, PONO, Ponis, ponit, ponimus, ponitis, ponunt. What does ponitis mean? Y'all place. Just checking. Let's conjugate pono in the present active subjunctive. Ponam, ponas, ponat, ponamus, ponatis, ponant. And again, ponam, Ponas, ponat, ponamus, ponatis, ponant. And what does ponamus mean? Let us place, or we should place, or we may place. What are the active imperative forms? Pone, that's singular, and ponite, plural. And again, pone, ponite. What does pone mean? Place. Put it away. In the active infinitive, the form, ponera. Again, ponera, which means to place. In the last lecture, we studied the passive voice. Do you remember the personal passive endings of the Latin verb? Oh, wait. That's right. Aristur. Mur mini untur. We should probably do those again, shall we? Aristur, mur mini untur. And if I asked you to conjugate pono in the present indicative passive, how would you answer? Really? What I was hoping you'd say was ponor ponerus ponitur, ponimur ponimini ponuntur. So please repeat after me. Ponor ponerus ponitur, ponimur ponimini ponuntur. And what does ponitur mean? Optime, he, she, or it is placed. We'll return to the passive in a lecture or two and review it and drill it again and again. So please don't forget it. But for the moment, in the interest of time, and so as not to bog you down with too many endings at the same time, we're going to focus again more exclusively in this lecture on the active voice. That said, please remember that your knowledge of the model verb pono, ponera, possui, positum, both active and passive, represents an essential basis for understanding some small variations on the pattern of pono, and thus a key to unlocking two more conjugations that follow the pattern of this third conjugation rather closely. Let us compare three verbs in the present active indicative tense. Pono, ponera, possui, positum, that verb you know means put or place. 
Second verb, copio, copera, capi, coptum. Those are the principal parts. Copio, copera, capi, coptum. That verb means take, grab, or seize. And our third verb, sentio, sentire, sensi, sensum, means feel, think, or perceive. We'll talk about their principal parts in a bit. For now, let's compare their present, active, indicative forms. In the first column, you see our old friend, good old model verb pono. In the second column, you will find copio. And you will have already probably noted that there are two minor differences between the present active indicative conjugations of pono, I put, and copio, I take. We insert an I before the O of the first person singular and another I before the U of the third person plural. This verb represents a subset of the third conjugation, a subset that we call the third I-O, cleverly enough, after the I-O that appears in the first person singular. The verb in the third column, however, demonstrates more than just an I before the O of the first person singular and another I before the U of the third person plural. The pronunciation of some forms of sentio is, as a result of some long I's, which you will see marked with macrons, rather different in some places. The I's in sentio are long in the second person singular, the first person plural, and the second person plural. This has a major impact on accent. Let's compare our first person plural forms. Ponimus, we place. Copimus, we take. But, sentimus, we feel. The accent shifts back to the second-to-last syllable, the penult, if you must, because the I in sentimus is long. We find the same phenomenon in the second-person plural. Ponitus, y'all place. Copitus, y'all take. Sentitis, y'all feel. Sentio is different enough to represent a separate conjugation. We call it the fourth conjugation, and this will become clearer when we compare the principal parts of all three verbs. Pono, ponera, possui, positum. Please repeat. Pono, ponera, possui, positum. Capio, copera, capi, coptum. Please repeat. Capio, copera, capi, coptum. Sentio, sentire, sensi, sensum. And one more time. Sentio, sentire, sensi, sensum. The first two principal parts, taken together, reveal a verb's conjugation in Latin. What are the patterns? O, just O, and no I before the O, followed by the infinitive ending ERE, -E, and that's a short ERE, -E, equals the third conjugation. IO, followed by the infinitive ending ERE, -E, and again, that's a short ERE, -E, equals the third IO, the third IO. IO, however, followed by the infinitive ending IRE, -E, and that's a long IRE, -E, equals the fourth conjugation. 
The first two principal parts of a Latin verb determine the conjugation and will help us decide whether to insert I's before the O of the first person singular and the U of the third person plural, and if the verb belongs to the fourth conjugation, to make the I of the other persons long. That is, we will pronounce that I as E rather than I. We're talking about details. They will not actually bother you very much in reading Latin. Unless, of course, you want to understand all the variations thoroughly and or pronounce the Latin correctly. And if you're like me, you want the details because you hate error. On the other hand, if you're like me, you also make a lot of errors. But error, amici et amici, can also lead to revelation, insight, correction, understanding. The pain and darkness of morphological, grammatical, and syntactical error, the humiliation of mispronunciation and misunderstanding can be redeemed by study and reflection. It may hurt, but it also feels good, finally, to understand the details, and that, my friends, is what makes us devotees of the Latin language, ad astra per aspera. Let's test your conjugational metal. I, Molinarius conjugator maximus, will give you the first two principal parts, and you, discipuli discipulaeque, will tell me whether that verb is third conjugation, O followed by short ERE, third IO, IO followed by short ERE, or fourth IO followed by long IRE. Ready? Parati et paratai. Cato catera means go away or yield. What is the conjugation? Cato catera. O followed by short ERE equals third conjugation. Conduco conducere means lead. Conduco conducere. Conjugation identification, please. Again, third conjugation. O followed by short ERE. Venio venire means come, go, arrive. Venio venire. Conjugation identification. Fourth. Yes, that's an I-O followed by a long I-R-E. Fugio fugere means flee, run away. Fugio fugere, conjugation identification. I-O followed by a short E-R-E. That's, that's the son of a third, the third I-O. Bibo bibere, as you may recall, means drink. Conjugation, third. O followed by short E-R-E. Cupio cupere means want, desire. Cupio cupere. Conjugation identification. I-O followed by a short E-R-E. That's the son of a third, the third I-O. Custodio, custodio custodire means guard. Custodio custodire. Conjugation identification. Fourth, I-O followed by a long I-R-E. Amo amare means love. Amo amare. Conjugation identification. First, but you don't know that one yet. Sorry, ignosca mihi, mea culpa. We'll get to the first and second conjugation soon enough. We've saved the easier conjugations for later. So what else can we do with our first two principal parts? They signal to us other adjustments we will need to make in the remaining present tense active forms. 
Let us take one more look at the information provided by the first two principal parts. If we remove the RE from the second principal part, we obtain the verb stem. If we remove the RE from ponera, we see that our verb stem is pone, with a short E. Similarly, for the third IO verb copio, copera, if we remove the RE from copera, we again see a stem ending in a short E, cope. But if we take our fourth conjugation verb, sentio sentire, and remove the RE from sentire, what is our stem? Senti with a long I. That stem in long I is the source of our variation in pronunciation as well as some other differences. We've already examined the present indicative active, but have not yet recited all the forms for copio and sentio. Let's take a moment to do that. Please repeat after me. Copio, copis, copit. Copimus, copitus, copiunt. If there's an I before the O, there's an I before the U. Again, copio, copis, copit. Copimus, copitus, copiunt. And one more time. Copio, copis, copit. Copimus, copitus, copiunt. Let's try sentio, sentire. Please repeat after me. Sentio, sentis, sentit. Sentimus, sentitis, sentiunt. Did you hear those long eyes? Please Again, repeat after me. Sentio sentis sentit. Sentimus sentitis sentiunt. An I before the O means that we'll have an I before the U. And one more time. Sentio sentis sentit. Sentimus sentitis sentiunt. We are ready for the present active subjunctive, which we form for copio and sentio in the same manner as we did for pono. We use the personal active ending M in the first person singular and insert the vowel A before the active personal endings. We will need to remember one more thing, however, for copio and sentio. Take a look at the chart and see whether you can figure out what that last detail might be. You probably already figured it out. If there is an I before the O in a verb's first principal part, that I will appear before the A of the subjunctive as well, in every form. Shall we conjugate our new verbs in the present active subjunctive? Copio copera is a third IO, so we will keep the I, insert an A, and add the personal active endings. Please repeat after me. Copiam, copias, copiat. Copiamus, copiatis, copiant. And again, copiam, copias, copiat. Copiamus, copiatis, copiant. Let's do the same for sentio sentire. We'll keep the I, insert an A, and add the personal active endings. Please repeat after me. Sentiam, sentia, sentiat. 
sentiamus, sentiatis, sentient. Again, sentiam, sentias, sentiat, sentiamus, sentiatis, sentient. And one more time. Sentiam, sentias, sentiat, sentiamus, sentiatis, sentient. Are we done? We haven't done the imperatives or command forms. If we compare the command forms for these three conjugations, we see that the third I.O. imperatives look exactly the same as the imperatives of the regular third conjugation, pone, which means put, O singular one, and so kape means take, O singular one. Both end in short E, pone, kape, just like their stems when we remove the RE from copera and ponera. In the plural, ponita, place, and copita, take, O plural people. Again, ponita and copita look the same. The fourth conjugation, on the other hand, keeps the long I pronounced E that we found in its base. The singular command is senti with a long I, feel. Senti. If you command just one person, senti. And for the plural, if you feel like commanding a group, sentite. Feel. Sentite. That long I affects the sound of the second person plural as well. Sentite has an accent on the second to last syllable. Whereas ponita and compita have their accents on their antipenults, or third from the last syllable. This knowledge of the fourth conjugation will enable you to understand and appreciate the commands in the original Latin of the famous old, how old remains it, somewhat disputed, but the famous old Christmas carol, O come, all ye faithful. But we'll have to get past the first line. Please repeat after me. Areste fideles, laiti triumphantes. Maybe I said it too fast. Try it again. Areste, fideles, laiti, triumphantes. If you were here to sing with me, I'd give it a try, but I can't. So again, please repeat after me more rapidly. Areste, fideles, laiti, triumphantes. Some means I am. The singular command form of the verb to be is s. That's the singular. Can you remember the plural imperative? That's right, este, be. But our verb is not sum, it's adsum, a, a compound verb with the principal parts adsum, adese, adfui, adfuturum. It means to be present. So if the plural imperative of sum is este, can you guess what the plural imperative of adsum might be? Yes, just put that ad in front. Areste, be present. Then come three adjectives. Fideles, laiti, and triumphantes. Fideles is a third, third, conjugation, third declension plural. It means loyal. Triumphantes is also a third declension. It means marching in a victory parade. And laiti is masculine plural, meaning happy. 
Can we translate? Well, literally, I suppose we should say, be present, loyal, happy, victoriously marching ones. Areste, fideles, laiti, triumphantes. Let's hold on to that thought and proceed to the next line, where I'd promised you a fourth conjugation imperative. Please repeat after me. Venite, venite in Bethlehem. And again, venite, venite in Bethlehem. Yes, venite. We were introduced to that verb just a few minutes ago. Venia, venire, veniventum is a fourth conjugation verb that means come. And what form is venite? Yes, plural imperative. Something civilians might call a command. And how should we translate it? Venite. Come, y'all. But where? Venite, venite in Bethlehem. Come, y'all, come, y'all to Bethlehem. So what have we got? Areste fideles, laiti triumphantes. Venite, venite in Bethlehem. Which we can translate as, Be present, loyal, happy, victoriously marching ones. Come y'all, come y'all to Bethlehem. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? The standard English version obviously takes some liberties with the Latin and also shows its age in such archaic plural command forms as come ye. Compare and contrast. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Which is better? The original Latin, obviously. So please, one more time, repeat after me. Areste fideles, laiti triumphantes, venite, venite, in Bethlehem. You have enough Latin now to understand the whole hymn in Latin, but it makes sense to wait, if not until Christmas, at least until we've looked at the first and second conjugations. And we will look at those conjugations in our next lesson, so you will not have long to wait. But we have a little time left, so let's look at a short passage that will allow us to review our declensions and hone our syntactical acumen. Pliny wrote an encyclopedia of natural history, the Historia Naturalis, which is a treasure trove of ancient attitudes toward just about everything. In it, Pliny talks about bodies and the body's pleasures. Please repeat after me. Duo sunt liquores, humanis corporibus, gratissimi, intoswini, foris olei. Or, without the pauses, duo sunt liquores, humanis corporibus, gratissimi, intoswini, foris olei. You'll need some vocabulary and some help with the forms, but hey, that's why your Magister Nomine Molinarius is here. The first word, duo, as in unus duo tres, means two. Sunt, as you'd better know by now, means they are. So far, so good. 
duo sunt, two are. Liquor liquoris is a masculine noun belonging to the third declension. That means fluid or liquid. And you can find fluid stores in most places even today, but the word liquor was in Latin more general than our word liquor, which now generally refers only to strongly alcoholic fluids. At any rate, duo sunt liquores. Literally, two are fluids. Hold that thought. Let's continue. Humanis. This adjective is easy to understand. It means human. The long is ending should make you think not of the genitive singular. That's a short is, no. Humanus, humana, humanum is a first and second declension adjective that means human. And the adjective humanis modifies the next word, a noun in the dative, which you should be able to understand. Corporibus, two or four the bodies. So what kinds of bodies are humanis corporibus? Human bodies. So what do we have so far? Duo sunt liquores humanis corporibus. Two are liquids, two or four human bodies. Okay, not completely clear. Let's march on. Gratissimi. The adjective gratissimus a um means most pleasing. And gratissimi is a second declension masculine nominative plural. Do you recall any masculine words from earlier in the sentence that this adjective might modify? Yes, fluids or liquores. Let's see if we can translate up to the comma. Duo sunt liquores humanis corporibus gratissimi. Literally, two are liquids to human bodies most pleasing. And we put that into real English. There are two fluids most pleasing to human bodies. That's interesting. What might those fluids be? Any guesses? Onwards, Roman soldiers. Intus is an adverb. It means indoors. Think interior. Weenie? Take a guess. Wine. Liquid number one. Weenum weenie is a second declension noun, but we'll deal with the case of weenie later. Onwards, milites romani. The next word is foris. Foris is another adverb. It means outside. Onwards, olei. Olei is derived from oleum olei. Another second declension, neuter noun. It means olive oil. That's bizarre. Both weenie and olei are second declension neuters in the genitive singular for reasons I'll explain, but let's enjoy the full translation. Duo sunt liquores humanis corporibus gratissimi, intus weeni fores olei. Literally, two are the fluids to human bodies most pleasing, indoors of wine, outdoors of olive oil. Okay, these odd genitives. Uh, Romans loved ellipsis. They assume that their readers are smart enough to repeat obvious words so they do not repeat them themselves. They were obviously not writing for a modern audience. We like to spell things out. We have to understand fluid or liquor, liquor, twice. If Pliny had spelled it out, we would read, Duo sunt liquoris humanis corporibus gratissimi. Intus liquor weeni. Foris liquor olei. Which would allow us to translate, Two are the fluids to human bodies most pleasing. Indoors the fluid of wine. 
Outdoors, the fluid of olive oil. But that's a bit wordy, even in English. How about this? There are two fluids most pleasing to the human body. Indoors, wine. In outdoors, olive oil. Wine indoors? I think we can all understand that. But olive oil? I think I'm going to let you ponder that one on your own. And with that, omnes linguae latinae amatores, you are free to go so that you may learn Latin, ut linguam latinam discatis, and practice it on your own before we meet again. Gratias vobisago, et curate ut valeatis.